Comic Picks by the Glick, and here's your host, Jason Glick. Yeah, and here I am. Okay, this week, for a while there, I was actually at a loss about what to talk about this week for one reason or another. Then I remember, I was like, you know, Robert Kirkman actually did a pot, did a um, video um, manifesto a couple weeks back talking about how he urged creators to do more creator-owned work um, as opposed to just like contractual work for hire for Marvel or DC. So I started, mm. watched this week. So I watched it, watched today, actually. And you know what? It's like, regardless of what you think about it, it appeals to me a great deal because, well, he, he makes a lot, of, a lot of interesting points about how, you know, Ultimately, like the goal, the goal of, like of a creator should be not to do to aspire to work for Marvel DC, but you know to use Marvel and DC as a stepping stone to work for creator, do their own creator own properties. Mm-hmm. Because he, as he says, creators who um, who do creator own properties, their own titles, just have a longer lifespan in the industry. Now, to be honest, I, don't, I honestly can't say that's necessarily true. It's like in terms of financial sense, but for me though, that is goddamn dead dead set true because. That's how you, that's how it works with me. Like you, if you're a cre- you're you're a creator. It's like once you do that big creator own title, like say if you're Grant Morrison, you do the Invisibles. You're Garth Ennis, you do the Preacher. You're Brian Vaughn, and you do um, Why the Last Man. You're Warren Ellis, you do Transcriptopolitan. Once you get that big creator own series, it basically says to me, "Hey, you are a writer. You fucking rock." It's like, and I want to buy all your series now because because you did this great series, and everything else you do is did is just as great. That's what appeals to me about. About Kirkman's speech, right? That right in his manifesto. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and so I figure it's like, hey, you know, like why not take a look at, at Kirkman this week? Because while I've talked about one of his other series, um, The Walking Dead, in the past podcast, I figure we want to take a look at this other stuff to see well, what kind of situation is is he in to, like, to actually say say this stuff? I mean, is he actually is actually true for the most part? And for financial sense, I can say it's absolutely true because The Walking Dead. Um, does absolutely bang up business in terms of like single issue sales. It's one of the few titles that actually seems to gain readers with each issue, and the trade paperbacks do bang up business. And then there's this other creator-owned title, the superhero series Invincible. Now, this is a great, this is a fun little series. It's about um, Mark Reynolds, and um, he basically he's like a average kid. Only problem is like his dad told him, sat him down for the talk. One of these days, hmm. and basically, his talk was basically saying that, "Oh, son, well, I was a member. I'm a member of the Viltrumite race, and so like one of these days, you're gonna gain suit kind of some kind of super superpowers and become a, a superhero. One of these days, like super strength, the ability to fly, all this great stuff. And so, this, so basically, like, the series begins with Mark finally um, getting superpowers and becoming and growing into the role of being a, being his own his own superhero." Well, at least that's the way it is for the first couple issues, because the beauty of the series is that since it's creator-owned, because it, it subscribes to its only its own universe at that, basically, like, Kirkman is free to do whatever the hell he wants. So, like, if he wants to basically just, you know, completely change up the status quo from issue, from issue to issue, he's free to do that. And while I really don't want to give away the big, shocking change that involves his father um, at the end, in the first, at the end of the, the uh, third trade paperback... All I can say is that it does a great job of just um, constantly changing up, just changing things up. I mean, it's like it's yeah, it's it's about yeah, it's about Mark, just, you know, having fun as a hero, growing as a character. But Kirkman also like put does this, just a certain amount of depth to this. Like basically, saying like, oh, like, everything you thought, thought was true, it's not. <laughs> it's like, and it's and he just but 
as opposed to like any other Marvel or DC series where they try to pull that kind of crap. Like he actually makes it work because he actually because there's actually a lot of emotional investment she ha- he infuses with the characters with, and it's. It's like he's just like actually he's just trying to actually give more detail to the cast, the situations. It's like and everything. It's like it's like he like it's when like uh, where am I going with this? It's basically it's like after like certain point like after Mark Mark learns the truth about his dad, he starts working for the government. They start finding out the government isn't quite um, on the up and up, and like all all this chaos start starts up. I mean, it's it's a great it's a great series that basically just like. It's never the same from one moment to the next. I mean that in a good way. I mean, I'll admit there are some parts where I wish that Kirkman had delved into like, some consequences in more detail. Like when Mark um, goes and kills one of his villains, who has been tossing him through various, various um, alternate dimensions with with a little hope of him actually getting home. I mean, you wish it actually like gone down that part a bit more detail. But as it is, it's like I'm constantly looking forward to each new volume of the series because like, even though he's got like an overall story to this. There's new, there's like all sorts of new stuff being thrown in with each, with each each volume, and I have to say, like it's the series is, has promoted itself as being probably the best um, superhero comic on the stands, and I'm for most part I'm kind of inclined to agree with them. I mean, it's like it's a good example of what the superhero franchise, what the superhero genre can do, like when it's not um, tied down to a larger universe like with Marvel or DC. Right. So um, is this uh, so what's the, the the publisher of this particular one? This is from Image. Image. Yeah. Right. And it's like so it's it's an example of why why Kirkman's able to say this stuff. It does like just real well in single issues. Not as well as The Walking Dead, but like I said, Kirkman's had actually two series that create own series that do really well. It's like he's at public great position to say that, hey, you know what, Crudo work does sell a lot better. Well, not sell a lot. Like, if once it, if it's successful, like, if you're, if you manage to, like, um, to just, like, um, to, like, hit the right note with the, with the audience, and, yeah, you can make a lot more money um, doing creator own stuff than you do working for Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let me ask you this question. Um, do you think that Marvel or DC... Uh, and I, I probably know the answer because you probably talked about it on, on earlier podcasts. Did they let independent writers and creators uh, that they contract to do work uh, take off with their own storylines of particular characters? Or do they pretty much pigeonhole them into a stereotype? It depends on the creator. Aha. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, if you're a big enough creator, like if you're Grant Morrison for DC or Brian Michael Bendis for Marvel, like you're pretty sure carte blanche to do whatever the hell you want, right? As long as it doesn't, you know, like defame the character or anything, right? Mm-hmm. And in DC, for creator-owned work, you can put it through their Vertigo imprint, and for Marvel, they got their Icon imprint, which mm-hmm. is basically it's like if you're if you've sold enough stuff for Marvel, we can you can do your creator-owned stuff through here. It's like as a kind of like a reward for doing all this great stuff for the company. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where Bendis publishes um, powers th- through. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But however, um, Kirkman was also talking about why, one of the reasons why he's not working for Marvel anymore. Um, I mean, what's it, one of the reasons is that when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I will admit that Kirkman's probably, probably also tossing this up because he's probably on a slightly uh, downswing with Marvel. Like, not, not technically in a creative sense, but just because like, all the stuff he's done hasn't necessarily shown, shown as well. I mean, his, basically, his to signature Marvel series is, of course... Marvel Zombies. Right. 
Yeah. Now, John, do you know what a Marvel zombie is? Um, let me guess. A Marvel zombie is a Marvel superhero that has turned into a zombie. <laughs> Close. <laughs> no, that, that's the subject of the actual comic book series. An right. actual Marvel zombie is someone who buys Marvel comics without thinking anything else. I mean, <laughs> they'll just buy anything Marvel produces, mm-hmm. like, regardless. I mean, there are a lot more, a lot of them in the 90s. There are less of them right now. Mm-hmm. And... Really, the whole the whole ser- reason this series came about is a spin off. Is a, a spin off from from a story arc from Ultimate Fantastic Four, which was he had Re- Ultimate Reed Richards going to another dimension to um, to interact with one of his other with another Reed Richards there, only to find out that oh wait, this is actually another Reed Richards. This is actually a zombie Reed Richards who has been infected with the zombie virus, and as they have all the other various Marvel superheroes. Uh-huh. Yeah, now not really. Ultimate Reed Richards escapes. Um, to the regular, to the ultimate, you know, back to the ultimate universe with um, the ultimate zombie Fantastic Four, um, in, in hot pursuit. Hmm. Marvel Zombies picks up from that point where Magneto, who has basically um, become a good guy in the sense that, well, you know, it's like after the zombie virus has pretty much killed off every, turned all the Marvel Marvel superheroes into zombies, and they've gone and killed off all the regular populace. You know, there's really not a point in whole, promoting the whole mutant supremacy thing after that. Right. Mm-hmm. So right after um, Magneto sends um, Reed Richards back to the Ultimate Universe, um, he's basically like, yes, I've, I've saved everyone. Then you get, oh, let's see, who do we have threatening him? You've got, let's see. you got a nice double-page spread of Sp- Spider-Man, Daredevil, Thor, Moon Knight, Giant Man, Captain America, Luke Cage... Angel and Wolverine all threatening to eat him right then and there. <laughs> and you know what? They do. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's the beauty of this series. I mean, Kirkman comes up with a lot of really inspired, gruesome, um, like Marvel, like um, zomb- like zombie infected action. Like, like as, they're, as they're removing limbs off Magneto, Magneto threatens, I hope you choke on me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great, inspired, gruesome fun. And one of the other points of Kirkman's podcast, um, Video manifesto was that you know we should be working Marvel and DC should be more age appropriate stuff you know stuff that's good for all ages stuff that um doesn't talk down to you know at, to adolescents especially so intelligent enough to make them want to want to read this stuff right this stuff oh god no this is even though it has no profanity in it it's a very very gruesome series mm. but it's but for all of us um fan men out there sure. it's a lot of fun because you mm. get to see. Because you get to see them uh, not only have to chow down on the Silver Surfer, try to take out Galactus, find out that you know zombies really don't taste good, and Giant Man try to um, retain enough, um, let's see, um, sanity by chowing down on bits and pieces of the Black Panther to um, try and to try and solve the problem to the zombie thing. Because like the great part is that for while a lot of the zombies are just crazed killers, um, once they eat. Once they eat someone and they they've they've um, saved their hunger, they realize, oh God, what did I do? And they they finally get their 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 minds back and realize what the horrible people they like. Like when Spider Man, like we realize that Spider Man reveals that he ate um, um, Aunt May and Mary Jane. <laughs> I mean, it's so his conscience bothers them. Or yes, you're saying their consciences bother them. Yes, and it's it's a fun. It's a fun conceit, and it works for the most part, especially when their final showdown with Galactus. Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. And well, this is a good, this would be a great one shot, one shot storyline as it is. They also because the series was, was extremely successful. I mean, like 
people just kept reordering this, the the, uh, the five issues of the series um, for a, for a while. I mean, like, mm-hmm. part of this is due to like the strength of, of R. Kirkman's writing. Sean Phillips, who's still one of my favorite artists, like his great um, dark, dark, gruesome art. But really, it was um, Arthur Ciudem's like um, zombie, zombie, ta- zombie takes on various Marvel cover, Marvel famous Marvel covers that really um, jumped out of the stands where everyone was reading this. So naturally, a sequel is inevitable. Right. And soon you get the imaginative, imaginatively titled Marvel Zombies 2. Now, <laughs> this is when like all the, all the principal zombie survivors of the first series basically um, reach the end of the universe, realize, hey, you know what? We've eaten everything here. What's next? Mm-hmm. So there was, hey, you know what? There was like this dimensional transportation device <laughs> that um, Reed Richards was using at the original series. Why don't we go back there and go and transport ourselves to another dimension. <laughs> yeah, so they do that, and upon returning to Earth, they find out that, um, they found out, oh wait, there's still some humans here, so now we're going to try and, we're going to try and, we're going to like fight, tra- take them down. Only the twist, twist is that they've actually, that if you, they found that if you haven't eaten for a while, you're able to control your hunger. Hmm. So now you've got like the whole zombie civil war. you got the good zombies versus the bad zombies, and I'm really impressed that Kirkman um, was really able to get enough story out of this to last five issues. Wow. Um, and, but really, the star here is, is Philip's artwork, who just, he draws the hell out of a lot of these scenes here. Mm. And it's like, it's, it's great stuff, well, art-wise. But mm-hmm. um, story, story-wise, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's really, you're getting to the point of diminishing returns here. Sure. I mean, it's, it's good enough if you like the first one, but it doesn't make me enthusiastic they've already announced Marvel Zombies 3 which basically like naturally like zombies have arrived in the regular mainstream Marvel universe right yeah so like I I I I recommend like the first one wholeheartedly the second one if you've got like 20 bucks to burn (laughs) okay that said Kirkman's other major Marvel series well aside from Marvel Team Up which I didn't bother to read because I heard it was meh Mm -hmm. um, is Ultimate X-Men alright okay now I've Mentioned Ultimate X Men in passing on a previous podcast, talking about how you know it's kind of also reaching the point of diminishing returns. And when I was talking about that, yeah, I really was talking about Kirkman's run in, in particular, mm-hmm. because the first arc he does um, Date Night, which is basically like all the um, Ultimate cast just talking about their talking through their um, various subplots. You know, Scott Scott Summers talking up with Jean Grey and stuff. Like um, Bob, Bobby talking up with with Roe and Kitty Pride, stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's a good, great character-driven arc, sure. and it's kind of all downhill from there, huh. because like then like for the first two volumes, um, Phoenix and um, and Magical, it's basically like Kirkman's own own arc, talking about his his um, new villain, the Magician, who basically he's a devious, he's a reality manipulating character. It's basically like he's Introduced to the X-Men, he's like, I can do anything, but only promise he's just basically like a guy who can just alter reality in subtle ways. Like, like a hypnosis type of, kind of thing. And then once the, once the X-Men realize this, then like whole big natural throwdown ensues between him and between them and the magician. Now, that's the first arc. The second major arc basically involves um, introduction of Ultimate Cable, who um, basically is revealed to have killed... Who basically like basically kills Ultimate um, Professor X in his in his initial arc, leaving the X Men to dis- disband and go to their own thing, with Ultimate Bishop um, arriving to pick up and pick up the threads. Now, the problem is that 
Ultimate Cable is really... Oh, man, it's like, I honestly can't believe Kirkman pulled this off, because basically, Ultimate Cable is basically just Wolverine from the future. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah it it could have worked, but it's kind of... But the whole arc turns into one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's like we're... we're it's only revealed that, you know, like, um, that, that Cable and Bishop are um, working in concert to train um, the X-Men for to um, to prepare them for the arrival, the imminent arrival of Ultimate Apocalypse. Now, you may worry about, hey, Jason, you're giving us spoilers here. And I'm saying, no, it's like, really, it's like, if you're if you're bored by what I'm talking about here, yeah, you're bored bored by the actual storyline. Because Kirkman, he does a decent job of taking a lot of the dregs of um, X-Men continuity from the 90s, like like Strife, like reinventing him as a as a um, as a character who can actually cause you know, like internal strife among the mutants, and just and the whole um, Cable Bishop storyline basically drags on for a bit because you get to feel like Kirkman's just playing mix and match with, like a lot of the a lot of previous Marvel history and just turning it into his own his own art. The biggest now while this is while the um, subsequent volumes are are all right, I mean it's like his whole. Volume 17, Sentinels, is just basically like an extended, oh, we're going to do, we're going to have, like, Bishop um, team with the X-Men to um, take on, take on like, um, Sentinels have been revived by the Ultimate Fenris twins. The um, final arc, um, Apocalypse, where Apocalypse naturally shows up, um, you kind of wish that Kirkman had tightened up his, the previous arc, Sentinels, which took, which took a while. Uh, basically, to give him more time with than four issues for the ultimate for ultimate apocalypse arc, which basically it's them fighting apocalypse, and that's it. He's been fighting <laughs> apocalypse for four issues, and like he really doesn't have any space to really give this this conflict the scope and ep- epicness it deserves. I mean, if you're gonna like throw him against a, a mutant who's got the ability to control other mutants, like and just like throw everyone into this big, huge, giant battle royale. It, it really deserves more, more space than the four issues it gets here, mm. and it's even more like depressing. Like, yeah, it's like it's, you know, Apocalypse is ultimately de- defeated. He's also defeated in a way that basically allows them to hit, allows Kirkman to hit the reset button for pretty much like everything is accomplished in this arc. <laughs> yeah, so really, it's like to be honest, like with based on what I've heard of the um, arc that follows this, mm-hmm. this thing, Ultimate X-Men, Volume Eighteen. Apocalypse of Ultimate X-Men basically is, my, is me drawing has basically me to draw a line under Ultimate X-Men mm. it's like once this is it you know, if I don't listen to anyone this is going to be the last volume they see mm. so really it's like I mean I don't know if this is, this is the editorial editorial different mandates or if this is or if Kirkman just wasn't interested enough to uh, like to you know to pull off anything further but really it's like I can't really I can really see why he wanted why he wanted to leave Marvel at, after this point. <laughs> it, it, it reflects it in the work you're saying, huh? at least in this yeah. one, in these volumes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, really, it's like, looking at this stuff, I mean, it's like Kirkman's, like, it's like Kirkman's credo and stuff is more than anything worth recommending. Speaking of which, I mentioned in a previous podcast, like, how many times have I said that this podcast? God damn it. <laughs> is that, talking about Kirkman, talking about The Walking Dead, I said that, the last one of the most recent volumes, volume seven, was reaching was make or break territory. Mm-hmm. Now that volume eight, made to suffer, has come out, I can say that verdict is make. Because hmm. really, it's like it's the um, showdown between the warden and the and our heroes in the prison. And really, it's it, it 
it confirms that Kirkman understands a lot of the convention, convention, a lot of the um, genre conventions I was accusing him of um, of manipulating in the previous previous songs. I mean, like he understands when dead means dead. It's like he like some of the characters like yeah, it's like if you see a character killed off screen, you know they're not coming back. But then if you kill, if you have the have the main villain hack a guy's head off mm-hmm. with a with the samurai sword in the middle of an arc, you can understand. No, that guy, he's dead. He ain't coming back. Right. And yeah, I so, said, well, I criticized. Yeah, and when the, the warden, well, I'll not spoil anything, but let's just say the warden really gets what he deserves in this arc. Kirkman understands, like, yeah, you know, I showed you what what happened to him in a previous arc. Let me show you what happens to him now when I really want to um, give him his comeuppance for what he's done. And really, it's like even this is this is probably one of the most one of the most depressing, depressing and despondent um, volumes of a series I've, I've read in a while because a lot of the characters you thought were safe that that when you wouldn't ever see die in a series, no, uh, don't get attached to the supporting cast. They're, they're or even here, huh? Yes, even even some of the main cast members you've seen for a while. Mm-hmm. It's like they're oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even so, Kirkman does it in a way that makes you want to know. Okay, where is he going with this? What's going to happen in Volume Nine? I got to check this out now. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, it's like if anything, it's more proof that Kirkman knows what he's doing with creator-owned stuff. That I want to see him do more creator-owned stuff as opposed to corporate-owned Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. So hey, props to Kirkman, and I keep hearing how you're like, trying to convince everyone to do that, and that Marvel or DC are. That your efforts have basically resulted in Marvel and DC trying to give um, their, those creators better contracts. So, I hope I hope you convince I hope you convince other people and really all you other creators out there. Hey, you heard what I said. Uh, you need that big creator-owned series to make prove to me that you can do like that. All the stuff, all the other stuff you do is worth reading. So hey, I look forward to seeing what you come up with and whatever Robert Kirkman does next. Mm-hmm. Okay, so until then. Calling it a night. All right. We'll see you later on Comic Picks by the by the Glick. Bye. See ya.